Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, as always, good to see you. It's good to see you. Really cool that we got to be together briefly this yes. weekend. We spent uh, a few brief hours together uh, honoring a friend of ours who was who was given a, a really cool honor. Friend of the, the program. Friend of the program. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah, Trevor Solom won the, won the Cal State Courage Award for the Minnesota Football Coaches Association. And so we got to go and be with him while, while he got to receive that. So it was really great to see you in person. Excited to be back doing this today. Because we grew today. You were the connector here. Who do we got on? Yeah, Ashley Harmon. She's the Assistant Director of Clinical and Behavioral Services. I, Ashley, I apologize if I screwed up that title because it's long and it's big, but it's, it's also really important. She's a mental health professional at the University of Texas serving athletes. And I, we, we talk about a lot of stuff in this episode. It's jam-packed from you know, mental health and the difference between that and mental illness. Cause I think we get that confused a lot of times. And I know even for me as a mental health professional, there's times where in my brain, I get that confused. So I I'm excited about her answer to that. And, and then just all the different ways that they're serving athletes and what goes into performance, right. From the mental side. And one of the things that I'm excited to get you guys is, is there's a lot of things that you can just pull a piece out of and say, mm. we're going to do that as a program. We're going to do that in our life. I'm going to do that with my children and it's going to help, you know, potentially serve the, the bigger goal of, of higher performance, higher outcomes for you. And then just better people also. Right. I mean, we, we talk about that all the time, right? When we, when we commit to big goals, we have to change who we are in some ways. Like, having mental fitness, having mental health and quality mental health is a big goal and it's going to change who we are. So I'm just, I'm excited that she was able to, to provide some, a ton actually of like one minute takeaway, you know, here you go, try this. It should, it should help you. Yeah. And regardless of whether you're power five school or a high school or a youth team or a parent trying to help your athlete or trying to help yourself get a little bit better, there is stuff in here for every level. You will get better today. Here we go. We now welcome on a very special guest, Ashley Harmon. Ashley, I've been looking forward to this conversation. We got to connect a few weeks ago and talk about what you're doing at the University of Texas. So I kind of have a little bit of background. And Jamie started to ask you before we hit record, and I stopped him because I think it's all valuable. So welcome to the podcast, and tell us a little bit about who you are and where what you're doing these days. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um so again, my name is Ashley Harmon, and I am a licensed clinical social worker along with a licensed chemical dependency counselor. Um, I did get both of my bachelor's and master's at the University of Texas in social work. Um, so full circle now that I'm working in athletics here. Um, prior to being in athletics, most of my work were, was in the um, like nonprofit realm. I worked in a crisis center, did like domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, so a lot of trauma. Um, and then I just kind of happened to fall into this position at Texas Athletics where they were looking for um, kind of a mental health professional that could come in and really um, build like a mental health program that was adequate for the athletes um, that met like clinical best practices um, and everything like that. Cause you know, they were noticing that there was a shortage uh, per usual, usually when it comes to sports and mental health. Um, and so I was hired here in 2016. So I've been here almost six years um, and the program has grown tremendously. It's been really awesome to see. Um, so I work here full-time and then I also have a part-time private practice um, on the side where I do more clinical work. Nice. So what, what brought you to sport? Are you an athlete originally? Like do you have, was this something that kind of called to you or is it just an opportunity that you thought, Hey, there is a need here and let's serve that. Yeah, it, um, I mean, I definitely like did athletics growing up. Um, but I wasn't 
particularly looking for anything necessarily in the athletic realm. Um, I just happened to go on the UT website because at this point I had just gotten my LCSW um, and nonprofit world like does not pay very well. Um, and so I was like, let's see if the uh, university is hiring because college kids are super fun. Um, and I saw that position and I was like, there is no way I'm qualified for this position. I'm going to apply anyways. Um, and so I did, and I, I'm really thankful I did because I absolutely love it. You know, the, the athletes are super fun, um, really motivated. And a lot of people don't really think of them as a vulnerable population, but they're actually really vulnerable. And so it's really nice to be in like this new realm of social work because, you know, social work, social work is such an old profession, but sports social work um, is definitely up and coming. So it's been really cool to be a part of that. I love that. As most of you listening know, I'm a social worker. In my background, I have the same license as Ashley. And every time, you know, somebody, I'm having a conversation about, oh, what do you do? And there's a part of me that doesn't want to say social worker because there's such a, there's such a connotation with that. Most people think of county, child protection, you work for the government. And I love that you kind of, you hit, hit the nail on the head. It's like, it's, it's an emerging broad spectrum of things. And I think athletics is just the next thing that social work is expanding to, but talk a little bit about, cause you mentioned it kind of in passing, but I think it's super important. And I want to come back to it that most people don't think of athletes as a vulnerable population. Talk a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So, um, oftentimes, you know, people will view athletes as entitled, they kind of get everything they want. Um, they have everything handed to them, you know, kind of that sort of stuff. They're on these like pedestals and platforms, um, you know, making money, that sort of stuff. But the reality is, is there's a lot of things that, you know, the public and, and outside of athletics aren't recognizing such as the time demands of athletes, um, and the pressures, I mean, the pressures are really outstanding when it comes to performance, um, injury, there's always somebody looking to take your spot. Um, perfectionism is, you know, high, high in the athletic realm. Um, you have just the athlete culture, which can make students very vulnerable. You know, one, I always, always like to say athletes are people first, so they already have people problems. Um, and then you put them into an environment like college athletics, for example, and it's very stressful. And so it's not uncommon for trauma to be triggered, anxiety and depression to worsen, um, that sort of stuff. Um, and they also are objectified and really there's this idea that like, they're just an athlete. Um, we don't want to hear your opinion you know, we don't want you to make noise, just go catch a ball, do what you're supposed to do. And then the added layer to that, that I think people don't realize is the amount of access people have to them, particularly via social media. Um, I mean, I couldn't imagine being able to go online and just read comment after comment about myself. I mean, we even have athletes that get death threats because they drop a ball. Um, so those are just some of the many vulnerabilities that our athletes experience. Well, I, I think, you know, somebody that's listening is going, okay, you're at a power five school, you're division one athletics, these sort of things. Like these are really unique challenges. And maybe the unique challenge for some of your athletes is that there's going to be death threats or that social media is a really toxic environment because of the, the platform and the size of their exposure. But at the same time, all the stuff you talked about before that moment is real for athletes at every single level, right? It does not matter. They're people first. I love that you say that. And then you, then you layer in the athlete specific problems that you're seeing. I think one of the things that I'm curious about is that a lot of times we talk about as athletics, as a protective measure, right? We're like, oh, this is, this is great because you're, in a small group, you have belonging, you have, you know, status in some ways you are entitled to certain things because you're good. Like, can you speak to kind of that disconnect for even the athletes that you work with? Because in one way they are super well insulated because mm -hmm. they have coaches that care for them, teammates that care for them. 
And then there's this other layer of stuff that is not congruent, right? There's a, there's a disconnect in between, between those things. So how are you guys helping individual athletes kind of work through that? You know, I feel really comfortable here. This is a good spot for me. And I have all this other stuff that I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, sport is absolutely a protective factor and a risk factor, um, depending on the person, uh, their own life experiences, and then how sport manifests in their own life. Um, part of how sport can become a risk factor, particularly is this idea of identity foreclosure. And basically that just means that an athlete views themselves as just an athlete. They have put all of their eggs in one basket. Um, so that way, if sport is good, they're good. If sport is bad, they're bad versus we really try to help our athletes build the safety net that's what else are they, you know, who else are they? What else do they like that sort of stuff? So that way can you, can you dig a little bit there so that we can get some tools out. Like what kind of questions are you asking to help them create a bigger, broader identity? Yeah. So, um, one is like this, the simple questions of like, just who are you? What systems are you a part of? You know, getting them to even think of like, oh, I am a sister. I am a brother. Oh, I am a friend. I'm a student, that sort of stuff, just those layers. And then on top of that, like, what do you like to do? What are you involved in? A lot of times it's school, sleep, sport. Okay. Well, that is wonderful. And where's the you time? Well, I don't have time for you time. Yes, you do. We just need to figure out what that is. Um, so building in these pockets of brain breaks and self-care and really figuring out like where are your coping strategies, how can you self-regulate? Um, because sports not always going to be good. That's just not how it works. Jamie, I love that you encouraged her to go deeper. Cause I, before that I was thinking about, uh, yes, we're talking about division one athletes, but in my head, I also had a picture of a high school athlete who ends up not playing in college. They, Jamie, you and I are both from small towns. Ashley, I think you're from a small town in Texas. So I'm sure this happens there, maybe even more than we, you know, we're accustomed to, but it's the high school football star graduates, has no idea what to do, ends up getting a job, lives in that community, maybe has a family, but kind of relives the glory days, right? Because that identity has never changed and they still are trying to hold on to that thing. And, and I think all of us have that, whether that's our jobs, our roles as parents or as um, coaches or what, whatever role, you know, we identify with the most it, understanding that we are more than just, I love that you use that word just because I think we get caught up in saying, Oh, I just, I'm just a teacher or I'm just a coach, man, you're so much more than that. And so I appreciate you asking those questions. Um, Ashley, I was doing a little research on you and came across a podcast. Uh, you were on uh, University of Texas. It was almost two years ago now, episode number four, which uh, seems probably like a long time ago. But one of the things that really struck me, and, and I loved your explanation of it, so I'm hoping you can recreate it a little bit, but you're talking about the difference between mental illness and mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, I'm always looking for good definitions of that and how to explain that. Because again, just like the connotation with social work, there's a negative one. And there's a certain um, belief system of what that means. I think the same is true of mental health, Absolutely. right? So maybe tell us a little bit about kind of your thoughts on mental illness, mental health, take it any direction you want. Yes. So a lot of people think they're the same thing, but they are not. Um, everybody has mental health. Not everybody has a mental illness. A person can have um, a mental illness and have great mental health. And a person also could have no mental illness and have really poor mental health. Um, you can kind of think of it, the way I try to explain it is that mental health is just this umbrella term. And within this umbrella term, there's all these like different pockets of different things. And mental illness is just a part of the pocket of mental health. You know, mental health is much more than, you know, we think of depression, anxiety. It's also like, how do we feel day to day? How are we talking to ourselves? Do we have self-compassion? Um, 
You know, what's our coping strategies? When you get mad at work, how are you regulating through that? Um, so really viewing it from like a holistic standpoint around we all have mental and emotional health that we are responsible for. Um, you're not just responsible just only if you have a mental illness. Yeah, one of the things we- on that if it's helpful. Well, and one of the things we've talked about on this podcast before, and John really kind of illuminated this for me was that it's a spectrum, right? In that umbrella term is a great way to say it, like from one end of the umbrella to the other end of the umbrella, everything kind of falls in there. It's a spectrum. You might be have tremendous mental fitness some days, and you might have mental, not illness, but mental, a poorer mental. We, we go through ebbs and flows in that too, right? If I get out and I run for a few months, my physical fitness in, is in a good place. You know, in Minnesota, it's winter here. I haven't been outside running all winter. And now my physical fitness has regressed. And now I just, because I haven't served it, I haven't taken care of it. I haven't been intentional about dealing with it or, or making it a priority. And I think your mental health is a similar sort of thing. There can be tremendous mental fitness also if you're if you're taking care of that process. And that really leads me to to a question I have about what you guys do with athletes to support mental fitness, kind of that. Because what we think about from athletic side is like we want elite performance. We want exceptional performance as often as possible. So how do you help do that side also, right? What are you what are you engaging with athletes in to say, let's take care of that thing. So when it shows up on game day, we don't feel it or it's, it's fit and it's ready. It's ready to go. Great question. Um, one thing I'll say that kind of goes to what we were just talking about. And with this is that a lot of times, you know, I like to talk about it as like, we're on this continuum where we ebb and flow and our hundred percent looks different every day. Um, athletes will say, well, this was my best performance. So this is my 100%. And I'm like, no, 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 that was your 100% for that day. You know, tomorrow your 100% may look different. So like realistic expectations around how are you actually feeling? What is your body telling you, you know, being engaged with that aspect of themselves. Um, I always like to talk that sport performance is like this, this icing on the cake. Um, there are things underneath sport performance, like learning how to be mindful, learning how to regulate, learning how to accept failure and move through it, embracing pain, you know, this radical accept radical um, acceptance around pain. And so we talk about it as like, okay, you're coming in for sport performance. I can a thousand percent help you with that. What's underneath the icing that we need to dig at and work on. Um, and so we will do like, as far as just like kind of, um, modality type stuff. We use a, a lot of mindfulness. Mindfulness is fantastic. Athletes usually really respond well to it because they really are in tune with their bodies already. Um, and then when you explain it, like this will help you get into flow, the zone. Um, of course they're, they're all about it. And at UT particularly, we give, um, athletes access, free access to headspace. Um, so we push that out a lot and things like that. So we, we try to also get like what's underneath everything. I love that you said that because I think we've all had conversations with parents or coaches or whatever. And it's like, no, I just want them to be better. Like I want them to perform on the, on the field or on the court or on the whatever. And it's like, well, we, we can, we can do that. But if you don't look at the rest of the stuff, you know, then it's only going to be maybe a short period of time that there's going to see that success or that change or that difference. Um, and that performance is only going to last for a, a very, a short period too, right? what, where it's right? like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you did it for three weeks and now you're not working with us because you think you have it move on. And then the performance deteriorates again, you know, like so, my favorite sorry. is when it's like, well, how long is it going to take? Cause you know, like when you sprain an ankle and it will take a couple of weeks and you do A, B, C, D. And so mm. it's like a constant reminder around like, I really wish it wasn't so gray in mental health, but we live in the gray zone. And I know that's not comfortable, but I can't give you a script or an, I, you know, an exact, like, this is when your athlete's going to perform better. This is when your athlete's going to stop struggling with depression. Like you will never get there. Right. I mean, there's no, like I, I say it all the time and I'm a really nerdy person. So I say like, it's an asymptote, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't get, like you keep getting incrementally closer, but you never get to that spot. Like, and that's, 
that's the cool part. I think, you know, from my perspective, like there's always something to learn. There's always something to be better at, you know, it's athletics is the same. You're never like, even when you're on the peak of the mountaintop, like you just go climb another one. Right. And you got to come down because you can't live up there. Like, it's just, there's nothing that helps you survive up there. And so that's, I love this just thought of like, okay, we're not going to get there tomorrow. Like don't try to get to the end goal. Let's just keep building on these skills and, and then give them away when, when you have them kind of in your pocket, like go and serve other people with them and that's going to grow you too. Right. Well, and like you said, Jamie, you, you, there's another mountain to climb, right? We're, we're recording this the day after the national uh, title game for men's basketball. And I think of those Kansas players and coaches and fans and it's like, yeah, cool. You won a title last night. And, and certainly celebrate that and be excited and, and go have fun and do that. But then, okay, now what, right? Now you still have to show up to class potentially, or you got to go to work or you got to live your life and be in the relationships you're in. It doesn't necessarily change you, right? And so if you don't take care of you and figure out who that is and what you want it to be, then, you know, you're going to be living in the past like that high school quarterback we talked about. Ashley, I want to go back. I feel like this is a podcast full of like opening, revealing doors for us. We certainly talked about mindfulness and mindfulness, meditation, all of those things in passing. We haven't gotten a ton into it on this podcast, but give us a little bit of kind of what you, how you describe mindfulness and how you talked a little bit about how it can be useful in terms of getting into the zone and the flow state, but maybe just go back to mindfulness kind of baseline bullet points of what that looks like for you. Um, so we, one thing I always like to talk about is, um, like the process to get to the end result, because if we're only focused on the end result, a, we're like living in the future. Um, and B we're missing all of the things that feel great or things we can learn from. So that's kind of where mindfulness can plug into that as well. And, a lot of times people think mindfulness is meditation and it's not mindful. Meditation is just a form of mindfulness. There are different types of ways to be mindful. Um, the best way is like being mindful is like knowing where your feet are planted using your five senses, you know, what is going on around you? What do you hear, see, smell, you know, what is your body telling you? Because so often people get wrapped up in either future tripping or ruminating about the past. And so it's like, okay, we can acknowledge we have those thoughts. We have those fears. We don't necessarily have to attach to them because feelings are not facts. So how do we acknowledge them? Because we don't want to beat ourselves up either for having those thoughts. We can acknowledge, we can have self-compassion, and then we can redirect to like, what are we doing right now? Um, and like with racing, for example, I'm like, okay, if your end result is to win the race, that is great. Great goal. And what do you need to do between starting and ending to do that? Oh, okay. Well, I need to do this, 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 this. Okay. So if you aren't paying attention to those things, do you think you're going to win the race? Probably not. Okay. So how can we slow things down? So we pay attention to everything and, and it's, it's kind of freeing actually. And um, it's hard practice. I think the statistics is like, 47% of the time we are not in the present moment because that's just how our brains function. So it is really hard, even, even for me when I try to practice it. Um, but it can be really freeing when you learn it and do it. I, I love that you said slow down, right? Because I, I was listening to a podcast with Buzz Williams, the, the head basketball coach at Texas a &M, And he said, he was talking about the final four actually. And he was just talking about like, you know, this is a team that doesn't get spat. You can't speed them up. You know, I'm like, what a great way. Like if I'm that coach of that team, I'm like, thank you. That's an amazing compliment from one of my peers. Like I, I want our guys to just be here right now. And what, what speeds us up kind of that anxiety or that worry about what's going to happen in the future. So slow down, take stock of where you are, like what's going on in your body. How do you execute this thing? Like, what is your, what is your, the process to get there? Like, let's focus on the details. You know, I, uh, um, uh, I've mentioned his name before on this podcast, but Steve Magnus is the, uh, head cross country coach of the university of Houston. He talks about set a goal, figure out the steps it takes to meet that goal. And then just forget the goal, right? <laughs> like, don't even worry about the goal. Just focus on the steps. Right. And I'm like, what it, again, 
do we do that as humans? Not really, because you talked about it, like our brain just lives in other space and time. But like, if we can do that, it's powerful, it's freeing, it slows us down. Um, I'm just, I, I think that's an amazing tool as, you know, coaches out there, just do that. You do that one thing and you're going to see different results. Absolutely. Um, and fun brain fact, when you slow things down and then accomplish them, you get like little bursts of dopamine in your brain, which makes you feel good, which makes you feel accomplished, which then motivates you to keep going. Versus when you don't do that, it's just con this continuous pattern of like, I can't get there. I can't get there. You're living in this deficit. Um, and your focus drills into right now again, because I want to feel that again, instead of going way out in front. It, it's a, it's a wonderful cycle, a virtuous cycle, right? I think that's what. So I, I have a question about that. Are you, when you say, okay, breaking it down and you slow it down, you're, are you talking about like, okay, let's get as small of a checklist as we can so we can accomplish those things today. Or what, what do you mean by that? Cause I think that's, that could be a confusing component too. For sure. Um, okay. So different examples, if we are looking at maybe just sport performance, um, and we have an athlete that is injured and let's say they're a track athlete, um, you know, they're trying to get back into running and they are noticing that they're running different. Their leg feels different. There's all these different things that's going on. So they're, they're, really stressed, which obviously when they're really stressed, um, and they're, and they are more focused on, I'm scared of re-injury. I have to perform. They're more likely to be re-injured just because they're not in the moment. So I may ask like, okay, out of all of the things that is different right now with your body, what is the first thing that feels like the most important thing that we need to work on? So they may say, I need to figure out how to plant my foot again, because right now I'm not planting it. I'm just favoring the other leg. So I can't run as fast. So I may say, okay, this next week, the only thing I want you to do is to focus on what does it feel like when your foot is planted on the track? And just that, I don't care about anything else. I don't care. You know, if something happens, great, whatever your goal is to focus on your foot on the track. And then we'll build that in. And then we may say, okay, now what are you noticing that this is feeling better? So then we'll go to the next step. If, if I'm looking from a mental, like health, kind of like maybe like depression or something like that, it's really slowed down in the moment. So example I always like to use, cause it's easy is, you know, people who struggle with depression as an example, they have a hard time even just like getting up and getting in the shower. And so, you know, people that don't struggle with that when we think of taking a shower, we think of, we just take a shower, we walk in the bathroom, we get in the shower, but there's a million steps in between that. So I may say, okay, you're laying in bed. You just got to take the covers off. Okay. Now you just have to sit up in bed. Now you just have to put your feet on the floor. Now you just have to stand up. So it's the smaller you can break things down. It gives the dopamine um, and also tricks your brain into thinking that, oh, this really isn't overwhelming. Like I can do this. Reminds me, Jamie, of Jeff Morris, you know, he was a cross country coach in Minnesota, or he is, I guess, and they've won a bunch of state titles. And one of the things he talked about in their off season program, Ashley, was just put your running clothes on. That's your goal. Day one, all you got to do is put your running clothes on. And then you're more likely to go run. You're more likely to enjoy it. All those things that you just said. So I, I love that. Thanks for clarifying, Jamie. I know you have another I, question. Yeah. I'm just like, I want, coaches to stop for just a moment and, and hear the language that you're communicating with your elite athletes, right? I feel very specifically that I'm not planting my foot. Mm -hmm. I think about the athletes that we work with and they're like, again, a million steps ahead. Well, I have to be able to do this skill. I have to be able to do this thing. I want to score this many points. I want to do this. I want to run this time, whatever it might be like these athletes at this next level are not focusing on that. They're saying they can notice very specifically, this is not right because I'm so in tune with my body and my perception of my body. What, what we look at an elite performance on the mental side is being able to be super in like what to me, elite athletics is being in tune with where you are, who you are and what you're capable of, right? Having a very specific sense 
of this is what I can do and then executing at the highest level of that. And then, you know, just incremental gains on top of that. But we're just very confident in who we are and what we're capable of. Coaches, listening, get your athletes to speak and communicate about what their body feels like as they're executing something. And they will start to be aware mentally, I think, right? If you can just put the focus in the moment of their physical output, you will start to let them hear what they say to themselves when it doesn't go right. You, you just create this sense of awareness that is, that is really powerful. And so now my, my question goes outside of self, right? I, we've talked a little bit about the self component of this process. When I think about sport, we talk about those protective factors, that really cool thing that is being a part of a group. And yet, to speak about mental illness, to speak about depression, to speak about anxiety, speak, speak about worry when you have been the guy, the best for a long time, and you are competing with a teammate who is also that person, right? Who has been that person, and they're going to take your spot. How hard is it to create an environment for your athletes to speak about, I'm struggling, I'm dealing with something and then to communicate to them, like when we do this as a group, when we do this as a team and have this security and safety as a team. So how are you educating the team broadly and the individuals to say, you got to speak to each other about this stuff and you have to speak to yourself about it maybe first. Yeah. Um, obviously stigma is always like the hard part um, and athletics, you know, is not, there's more stigma in athletics a lot of times than in, in other communities. I will say that six years ago compared to where we're at right now is amazing. Um, I think first and foremost, me being embedded in athletics is the most important thing. I know some universities will just contract or use their on-campus mental health center. But if you think about it this way, if you, if everything is in the same place, like your academics, your food, your strength and conditioning, your treatment, and then you say, but mental health's over there. What does that say to the athlete? Oh, you don't want to talk about that's over there. Right. Versus here. I'm just like, Oh, go see Ashley, go text Ashley. Oh yeah. This is where Ashley's office is. I'm where everything else is. So you normalize it. Um, I see them around all the time. I go up into the tank, which is the eating center. Um, so that's just one, like getting athletes comfortable with just seeing you, um, a second is building relationships with coaches because they are your biggest asset. Um, and it's not always easy, um, just because, you know, sometimes coaches and mental health professionals, you know, they have different perspectives, different lenses on things. And so it's coming together as a team on how can we both help each other? How do you get what you need? How do I get what I need? Um, because when you have a coach that it understands at the very least, just like that mental health is real um, and athletes can benefit from services and taking care of themselves, they will promote to their athletes, you should go talk to Ashley. And then guess what? If their coach is saying that, they're like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to lose my starting spot if I go to therapy. Great. So I'll go. And then it kind of trickles into, um, you'll see like some teams utilize our services more than others. The teams that do utilize our services, they just talk between it all the time. Like I have students that come in here and be like, well, so-and-so referred me and they think that this therapist would be a great fit for me. And I'm like, okay, well then let's do it. Um, and then when I go and just talk to teams, like I talk to them every fall and I'm just like, you know, Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. I know you think we're just like in this like scary feelings dungeon. And we just talk about depression and anxiety, but I promise we talk about so much more. And I'll even be like, you don't like your coach. Come talk to me about it. Like I'll help you navigate those things. Um, using sport performance sometimes will get them through the door. Um, and when you start to build that success and they start to see it, their teammates see it, which then is like, Oh, I want to do it that. I want to do what that person's doing. Wow. I really noticed the difference. What do you see as the biggest barrier? You talk about some of those teams utilizing it and some not, right? And going in and saying, hey, we are just this dungeon of feelings. Jamie, what? I, I have a guess. Can I take a guess? Yes. Is, it the is it the coach? Is the coach the limiting factor most of the time? No. We don't have to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just curious. 
Um, it definitely can be, a coach can be a limiting factor um, for a variety of reasons. Either A, you have coaches that don't talk positively about mental health. Um, and so it is shamed and stigmatized. So they're not going to come. Or you have coaches that really do want to help their athletes the way they're going about doing it. Like they're saying, I think you're really depressed. You need to go talk to a therapist. I think something's wrong with you. Then athletes are like, well, I'm definitely not going now. Um, so that's kind of the coach barrier sometimes. Um, other barriers are definitely just like the population of the, you know, um, sport team. So obviously we have more female athletes utilize our services than male athletes. Um, and that's pretty statistically like across the board in regular population. Um, and then you look at like the male sports and who's utilizing. And oftentimes you have lower numbers with like football. Um, cause you have a lot of like you know, underserved populations in football, which is even more stigmatized in the community. Um, and so there are different barriers, but that's where like talking about it and having coaches and other men, particularly if it's a, if it's a male sport saying it is okay. Um, like coach Sark, he's amazing. He has his, he's been very vocal about his own journey and he'll tell the guys like, look, this is where my life was headed. I didn't want to see a therapist at first. I BS the therapist. Obviously it didn't help me. I was on the verge of losing everything. I finally said, you know what, this is what I got to do. And he said, now I'm a head coach at Texas. Like it's life-changing. And he'll be like, don't BS your therapist. It's fine. Go in and talk about your life. Just a normal conversation. Yeah, no, I, like I, I went on a tangent. Sorry. No, I, oh, it's good it was all good. So I, I wanted you to keep going on that, but, um, no, I, I agree. I think that's, that's what we, I certainly hear that a lot, you know, in terms of, okay, whether it's access or it is connectivity with the provider, you know, I think being a male in this field certainly gives me an advantage to try to hopefully reach some of those harder to reach populations, whether it be football or some of those, uh, areas where it's more stigmatized. Um, and I think we do have a long way to go. And I, I, so I was just curious from your level, what you were kind of seeing. And I, Jamie, I think you're right. I mean, coaches, you and I have both been a coach, um, in of multiple sports. And I think we would both admit we have hindered yeah. our athletes development in some of these areas, probably unintentionally, hopefully. I mean, and, and we're passionate about it. Yes. And we're, we're engaged and invested in this process. And yet, you know, I know for a fact, and like I was a teacher for a long time and I'd start talking about something in the classroom that was not topical for my, my subject area. And I'd have kids pushing back because it was a little too close to home or it was a little bit like, this is not normal. This is not okay. You know, I, I remember telling a story and we used it. It's, it's this thing called hold the rope, which is a Bobby Bowden thing that our, our football team that we both played for used as like, if, if you're hanging off the edge who do you want holding the rope up at the top? You know, who would let their hands bleed for you is kind of the question. Right. And a kid like walked up to, I was telling that story because it resonated so deeply with me. And I was just saying, God, you got to communicate with each other and you got to build trust and relationships with one another to a place where you trust them enough to hold you over the ledge, you know, like that they, they're not going to let you go. And like, I thought, Hey, this would be a powerful thing at these 16 year old kids that really need this reinforcement right now. And I had a kid walk up to me and be like, I, that was, I didn't like that. I don't want you to talk about those things. And I'm like, I, my first question is like, what's wrong? What, what's underneath, right? What's under the layer of this thing. But we got, I mean, we got to understand that it's not going to land with everybody in the same way. And we got to take different avenues you know, I, as a teacher, one of the things I tried to do is I like, I'm the hub, right. And I want to spoke out in as many possible ways as we can so that we can come at this from as many angles. Then we have this whole, the whole view. So how are you guys doing? You've talked a little bit about that. How are you bringing multiple angles for athletes to say, yep, we're in the building. We're embedded with you. We're going to talk about sport performance. We're going to talk about mental health, but how are you bringing the whole picture to them to say, this isn't just this thing. It's, it's, here's multiple perspectives at. Yeah. I think with the, um, 
kind of going to teams, just talking to them, having athletic trainers, man, athletic trainers are my best friends. They, um, really, really talk to the teams all the time, just around like, Hey, remember you have resources and kind of that sort of stuff. Um, having just like, I'm pretty sure my cell phone is like posted in like all the bathrooms and locker rooms, um, in the stadium. So just like, Oh, like, okay, it's, it's there. Like, I don't have to go ask anybody. Um, we have this really great, like self-referral process. So that way, like if people are afraid to talk to somebody, they can come straight to me. Um, educating coaches, like doing educational things, um, and webinars and presentations and things like that, just because the more coaches are equipped, the better. Um, one thing that kind of came to mind as we were talking through this, that like, is really important to me leading this program is that I, um, in general, I'm a strengths-based perspective social worker. Like a lot of social workers, um, I thousand percent believe in it. And so I take that approach with my coaches also, um, and teach them what is strengths-based, like, how can you view your athlete from a strengths-based perspective? A, this will motivate them. And B, you can point things out in a way that doesn't feel shaming, but more so, Hey, I'm noticing this, like what's going on, what's underneath it versus like, what's wrong with you? Or why do you have a bad attitude? Two very different things. So I feel like even changing language within the athletic department really opens the door to normalizing, talking about uncomfortable things and getting them to the resources that they need. Can you speak to the self-referral process that you talk about? How does that work? I'm just curious so that, you know, again, if we can, if we can give some tools to, and you guys are obviously a bigger part program and have, but how does that work? Basically. Um, so since my phone number is like posted everywhere, they literally can just text me straight from nice. it. They can get, um, some of them will just get my phone number from the athletic trainer or a teammate, even a teammate may be like, Hey, you know, text Ashley about this. So they'll text me. Um, so it's just kind of like this idea that like, you don't have to come see me at first. You don't have to go through the doctor or the coach or anything like that. There's no meeting you have to do. It's just a simple, like, Hey, this is so-and-so on the rowing team. I want to talk to somebody. Okay, cool. Do you have a preference for a male or female? Do you have a preference for in-person or zoom? Okay. Let me get you started. Um, so just very smooth. And then they get my make, phone number from everywhere. Everybody has my phone number in athletics. So, too. so make it super obvious and make it super easy, right? Super I mean, obvious and easy. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So Ashley, we're, we're big on, obviously we got, we went pretty deep in some different areas today, but if we were to zoom in a little bit further and say, okay, there's, I'm a parent or I'm a coach of a high school team or a youth team right now. And yeah, man. Oh, uh, mindfulness sounds awesome. Right. And, and looking at protective and risk factors and all of those things that we, we talk to, uh, about where do we start? You know, I think that's kind of one of the things that we kind of come back to with it, especially with these conversations is they can get so detailed and so in the weeds, but where do we start if I'm not already doing something like this? So if you were to give a piece of advice for whether it be a parent who's looking for help for their, their athlete or themselves, or a coach who's saying, Hey, I want to be more engaged with the overall wellness of my athletes. Where do I start? Ooh, well, first, like have an open mind to a different perspective. Um, cause if you do not, this perspective may upset you may challenge you, you know, and being challenged is okay, but be like, be ready to embrace it. Because in order to actually engage in meaningful change, we do have to be challenged with certain behaviors and thoughts. Um, I think it definitely starts with you as the person. What are you willing to look at? What are you willing to work on? Because you are a model for your kiddos. You're a model for your athletes. And everything starts from the top down. Um, with resources, like if you're a coach, do you even know what you have? Like, do you have resources at school? If not, why not? Where are you located? Have you ever even asked the school, what do we do in a mental health emergency? 
what do we do if we're traveling and there's a mental health emergency? Like ask questions, learn, because if you don't know what's happening, you definitely can't like give that information, nor can you make change because you don't even know what's there to begin with versus if you recognize like, okay, this is where our gaps are then you can start talking to whoever it is that you need to talk to around. This is what I'm noticing. Like I'm concerned for my athletes because we're having gaps here. How can we fix this? And coaches have so much power within their voices to be able to say, my athletes need this. How do we do it? Um, And so it's recognizing that learning, you know, be willing to share their own experiences if they want to. Um, and using their platform in a positive way. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, so powerful, just the whole conversation in general, because we know what sport can provide. This is why we do it, right? We we're so excited to make this life changing impact. And I think what John was speaking to you when he used the high school quarterback analogy, like there is a, there's a wound there because of sport. Right. There's a trauma in some ways because just because it ended, which is going to for every one of us ever, right? Because our bodies don't allow us to do this for forever at the level that we could. And so that entity identity formation, that you know, foreclosure, we got to move beyond that because there's power in this thing. And if we're not willing to acknowledge that, we aren't willing to be aware of that and figure out how we are kind of the link, the next link in the chain as coaches, as leaders, as models of behavior, we're, we are doing our athletes a disservice. And so I'm, I'm so excited that UT has something like this in place and is, and is modeling something like this so that we can ask you guys questions and say, how do we do this in a completely different context? Mm-hmm. But you guys have some tools developed that are really good. Let's steal those things because you're doing it well. So thank you for joining us. What an amazing conversation. Thanks for growing us and pushing us today. Absolutely. Jamie, we were just talking about all, all of our takeaways. So record, here we go. No, I, we were just talking about, man, that last question, you know, we build, we go kind of a little bit all over the place in terms of the mental health spectrum there with Ashley, but that last thing just really, I think for both of us kind of stuck out and it really hit home. It's like, okay, where are you at? What are your resources? What, what's your plan? What do you have available to you? And what are you supposed to do? So you were just, you were going there that you just said is like, even for a physical injury and we're on the road, do we have a plan in place? Do we leave a coach behind to go? And do I stay? Like, do I go with it? Like, do we have any, have we ever had that conversation? You know, just creating awareness around the tools that we do have the plan that we should have like where are our gaps Ashley said that like where are our gaps in our understanding about what we do when and then where are our gaps in the what we do every day I think is really really powerful okay so what about the scenarios that we that are hard to foresee so let's imagine them but then also like and that's in some ways that's almost easier to do right right then to be self-reflective and say, what do we actually do every day to promote this? What are we doing regularly to engage with this? How are we communicating about it? What's the language that we use? Like just creating awareness. And then obviously my favorite part of her answer is it starts with you folks. Like it starts with us as individuals. And I, and I say this to my, to my leadership groups all the time, like the leader and their willingness to behave in a certain way dictates the responses and the behaviors of everybody else. So it becomes down to what are you modeling? What are you willing to undertake? Have you ever had these conversations with yourself? Well, and then we can do something. And, and not only that, but as we zoom further out, right, I think of from a university perspective, and she kind of talked about it where it's like, yeah, we've had growth and we've had some resistance, right? And I, you and I both love football, right? And yeah. I, I know that it's a little bit egocentric because we played football. We love it. It's, but we both believe that football leads, right? It leads initiatives, whether that's socially, whether that's emotionally, whether that's, you know, the culture of your school or your university, whatever that is. And so it's also understanding what your role is in the larger picture. You know, yes, it's about leading your, yourself and then your team. And then, okay, what if we do this well? 
how does this impact our community? How does it, whether that's the school or the community at large, man, I, there's so much good stuff in here, Jamie. I, I want to, don't want to get lost in kind of that last thought. Cause I'm going to go look back through my notes here. Some things she talked about people first, right? Athletes. I think that goes without saying we know that and we discredit, and we, we don't discount it and we don't do it well all the time. We don't, I say whole athletes or whole people make whole programs, right? Whole athletes make whole programs. Well, if you aren't <laughs> whole people first, right? We got to give them the skills to be whole people, not just whole athletes. It's easy to go and perform some days when you're really good at that. It's really easy to be confident at that. But then there are other pieces of life that just don't get served. Yeah. And take some time, spend some time doing those things. And, th- and then the other thing that really hit home for me was, you know, she quoted the stat 40, 47% of the time we're not in the present moment. And we were talking about mindfulness, paying attention on purpose, where your feet are right now and how much we go through life without doing that. Whether, whether you're an athlete or not, right. People first, right. 40, 47%, almost half of the time we're not where we're at in our head. I, Man. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that it's that small of a number, right? There's probably a bunch of people that are really good at it that are bringing that average. Bring that average up. <laughs> because I mean, I You're would right. say they're like even half the time I'm lucky, right? And I, I, again, we're passionate about this. We believe in this stuff. I, I try and do this in my life and I, it's, it's a struggle for me also. And so, no, I, uh, super grateful that Ashley has the perspective that she has and does the thing that she does, right? Um, works in a clinical, you know, her title is clinical behavioral health director, like, and works with athletes. Like we, we have a lot to learn as coaches in a society around sport, but they're helping lead that process. And that's really cool. Agreed. We have a lot to learn and we're on that journey and we appreciate you guys joining us every episode. We get a little bit better. We know that you're getting better as well. So Jamie, I appreciate you. Listeners, we appreciate you. Man, we didn't even talk about, I mean, we're over a hundred, Jamie. I know. And I mean, and we had a hundred episode, but reflecting now, cool. it, a couple of weeks out from that, it seems, it seems crazy. But anyway, okay, moving on. Jamie, appreciate you guys out there listening. Jamie, I appreciate you. And as always, live eyes up. <laughs>